0: Hey everyone, it's Adrian Pinozo here with the More to Life Real Estate Investing Podcast where we help you and teach you how you can get more to life through the power of real estate investing. Guys, we're on episode 31 here and wow, how time flies. But before we get into this super, super exciting guest, I wanna share with you the numbers of one of our most recent refinances that we've taken part in, in partnership. And um, I wanna show you that whoever's, in the past told you, you can't get a 100% burr and get all your money out on the exit of a burr strategy, you're not partnering and you're not listening to the right people. This is why I'm going to explain these numbers to you. And these are real life numbers. This is why people partner with our company. This is why we have so many referrals. This is why we have so many JV partners, so on and so forth, because of the results, the infinite return we provide our partners through the power of the Burr strategy that we've pretty much perfected. So let me run these numbers through you, write them down, record them, whatever you want, but these are real life numbers. Let's go through them together. Um, and I'm gonna to explain to you and show you how we got this particular JV partner infinite return on their money. So the purchase price was 652,000. 80% loan to value, we have the first mortgage of $521,600. We spent a total of $250,000 on this property in renovations, top to bottom four unit property, top to bottom renovations completed 250,000. So, Important numbers to remember obviously, our purchase price, our first mortgage at $521,600. We have the rental cost of $250. We have our original down payment of $130,400. Closing costs, $14,000. Holding costs, $20,000. Uh, so, all in all, with our down payment, our renovations, carrying costs, closing costs, so on and so forth, we're into this for out of pocket, 414,400. Eight months later, this property, once renovations were completed, refinanced for $1,275,000. So we had an equity increase essentially of $623,000. 250 in, in renos, but we forced appreciation by $623,000 which just means the new mortgage or the, sorry, the, the new appraised value of the home at the completion, the exit was 1,275,000. What does that all mean? We have a new mortgage of 1,020,000 and we paid back, we paid out our first mortgage, our renovations, our caring costs, our closing costs, our original down payment, all those numbers are shared with you, What does it mean? We had a surplus. So every single nickel out and we had a surplus of $84,000 that we shared with our joint venture partner. Absolutely incredible. And again, infinite return on investment because we have no money left in the deal. Above and beyond that guys, this particular property tenanted with four units activate active tenants living in there, we are cash flowing $784 a month with not a penny. So let's go over it. The bank paid us at the end of the day, $84,000, paid us $84,000 to buy this property, renovate it, refinance it, and hold it. And above and beyond that, we have $784 a month cash flow with no money left in the deal. Infinite return on your money, obviously. And again, I can't stress enough. If you're interested and you want to learn and you want to dive into this real estate investing, incorporating the burst strategy, we are the best in town. Reach out to me, send me an email, uh, www.investwithepc.com is our email address. Um, Adrian at investwithepc.com is my email address. Shoot me an email. Let's let's jump on a call and chat about these numbers, chat about how we can help you achieve these numbers and potentially do some business together. So let's get right into our show now. Super excited to uh, introduce our guest. Hey everyone. It's Adrian Pinozo here with the More to Life Real Estate Investing Podcast where we try to help you get more to life through the power of real estate investing. Super excited for our guest today. Believe it or not, guys, we're on episode 31, how time flies when you're having fun. But uh, exceptional guest today, Kenneth Ken G. is the founder and managing partner of KRI Partners and the KRI Group of Companies. He has more, get this one, ton of experience. He has more than 24 years of significant real estate, banking, private equity transactions and principal investing experience. So obviously no stranger with 24 years under his belt. Throughout his career, Ken has been involved in transactions valued then more than, get this one, billion. Outstanding. Much of which has included the acquisition, management, and financing of various multifamily real estate projects. Ken, welcome to the More to Life Real Estate Investing Podcast. How are you?
1: I am doing great. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, awesome. No, thanks for sharing uh, and being with us. Obviously, you're coming to the table with you know, I've been in the game 11 years, you've been in the game 24, so there's probably nothing you haven't seen or done that obviously I haven't either, but uh, congratulations on that. Why don't we start out with, um, you know, we typically start out, tell us your journey, tell us your story. How did this all kind of evolve in your world 24
1: years ago? <clears throat> yeah, that's a good question. So I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, and uh, got my undergrad from the University of Toledo, when I, then I moved to Cleveland. I uh, got, uh, I went to work then at the time for uh, a bank where I did five years of commercial lending. And while I was at the bank, I got my, uh, went to school at night, got my degree, my graduate degree, my master's uh, from a small school called Case Western Reserve University. And when I was done with that, I went to, uh, I, I studied to be an accountant. So I went to work for Deloitte for seven years. Now, the late CPA, that's where I got a lot of my private equity experience, uh, and I was in their tax group then. And as I was working there, this is kind of an interesting story. Um, you know, my kids were very young. My daughter was uh, still uh, extremely young. She would, uh, in fact, I would do the nighttime feeding with her every night. My wife would take a break. My son would be in his room sleeping. And so what I, you know, I used that time. Uh, really is a great father-daughter time uh, because I was at Deloitte at the time. We were working a ton, so I didn't get to spend as much time with the kids. So I really loved that time sitting in a room. The whole house is quiet, three o'clock in the morning, and we're doing the doing the feeding. And I really got to bond with her. The problem was as time went on and as these nights went on, they started to become frustrating for me because my mind would start thinking about our life, our family's life, her life and what I wanted it to be, and as I thought through this, I, I was getting more frustrated. I could just feel the stress building every time uh, I would I would have these thoughts, and you know I knew that I wanted her to be able to uh, to go to school without massive student debt, right? I knew that there were a lot of things that I wanted our family to be able to do, but here was the problem: I did everything I was supposed to do. I went to school. I got a good job. I got my degrees. I did everything right, right? Mm-hmm. And I was working really hard, but I couldn't, although I was saving a little bit, there was no way I could see a future that really put me in a position that I wanted to be in. And that was really frustrating because this, all of these thoughts was really destroying this time that I really, really, really enjoyed to have with her in, in a room. So I finally said, you know, I'd, I've had enough. I got to figure this out. And you probably had some similar experience because I know you changed careers, but I decided I I... When I was at the bank, all my customers were in real estate. When I was at Deloitte, so many of our clients were making massive money in real estate and I was just working like a dog, right? So mm-hmm. I said, all right, I got to figure this real estate thing out because this is obviously where it needs to be. So I spent a couple of years and thousands of dollars. Back then, there wasn't podcasts like this and all sorts of other ways to learn about real estate. So I went to the local apartment association meetings and you know, really became buddies with the people that would present at these meetings. And I started learning about real estate. So in 1997, I bought my first deal. It was a small 28 unit property in Cleveland. Um, Then I bought my second deal and my third deal. And what happened to me, this is a life-changing part of the story. And that was I sold those three deals and made over half a million dollars in profit while I was still working at Deloitte for like 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And it was then... The first time in my life, I had real money in my bank account, right? I, I not so before I couldn't figure out how I was gonna reach all my goals. Now it, it was crystal clear obvious what I needed to do to reach all my goals. you know before I couldn't figure out how I was gonna put her through school and my son through school without tons of student debt. i I got it now I, I have the solution. So I continues down that that's how I got into real estate and it's a pretty interesting story because, you know, I have always argued that your kids really impact you more than you realize they do, right? Your life becomes less about you and more about them. But, you know, that time with my daughter really, really did drive me to getting into real estate because I needed to find a way to reach the goals that I set for myself. There was no way I was going to do it working uh, for somebody else. So that that's how I got started in real estate. And, you know, now we've done, I don't know, 17, 18, 19 deals and uh, we're well on our way to, uh, uh, you know, to continue to grow our firm.
0: Amazing. Amazing. So you touched on a couple of things there that I can resonate with and, and probably a lot of people listening can resonate with. And what you touched upon there that really, really hits home is essentially you're sitting there at three o'clock in the morning, feeding your daughter uh, uh, out of a bottle. Um,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah. Of the and whatnot. And, um, you know, the light bulb goes off and you're thinking you want more and how are you going to get more? And, and I've been there, you know, way when I was a police officer sitting in the middle of the night at three o'clock in the morning in my cruiser, you know, behind a building, trying to uh, drink a coffee and stay awake, I'm thinking, right. I want more. And your, your story is exactly the same way, obviously thinking, how am I going to get more to get out of the rat race and obviously provide a different kind of lifestyle for my family, my children. So yeah, that, that's, that's awesome. And then obviously that mindset you had, you did something with it. You bought, you said you bought three buildings
1: Mm -hmm. and one after after the other. Yep. 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 Bang, bang, bang. And then that Well, it took me some time. I mean, I did it over a year too, but the point was that I bought the first, the second, and then I, after I bought the third, I actually sold all three and, Back then, think think back to the. I think I sold them in the year two thousand. Think back twenty two years, twenty three years ago. That was a long time ago. Oh yeah, half a million was a lot of money. Miss half a half a million is a lot of money now. But boy, it was life changing for me back then.
0: Hundred percent. So when you started then, those three buildings that you originally purchased, mm-hmm. did you do those on your own? And what made you? I guess you mentioned you did a bunch of research, right? You 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 mm-hmm. did a bunch of research before you pulled the trigger. Um, so you pulled the trigger. Did you do it on your own or how did that kind of evolve? You?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So each deal always, every deal always has a little story. So my first deal, I always tell everybody, it is truly the hardest deal you'll ever do because it, you're, everything you're doing is brand new to you. So uh, then I borrowed uh, the Half of the down payment that i needed from my home equity line of credit i wouldn't encourage mm-hmm. everybody to do this it's just what i did and my in-laws were kind enough to trust me for the other half so they invested i went in with my in-laws and they said look and you know we know you don't know anything about real estate yet really um but we trust that you're going to work hard and you're a cpa and you're probably going to figure this out so yeah we'll, we'll, you know that's what parents do right and and, yeah. and uh, in-laws we'll take a chance on you and so That was how I got the first deal done. The second deal, interestingly, I started learning more and understanding about how to finance improvements when you're doing a value-add deal. And I learned that you can do the deal. I was able to negotiate with a seller with very little money down, right? I, I borrowed that down payment as well, but I did it by myself this time. And I didn't have anyone else in the deal, but I was able to figure out how to improve the property and have the bank fund the improvements, right? Back then it was even harder than it is now. Uh, because they would come out and inspect and you'd have to prove that you got the new rents, and they'd have to see the real tenant living there and all that stuff. And then the third deal uh, is different. Uh, I bought the the third deal I bought from a uh, development corporation that they had taken the property from basically almost being condemned. They had resurrected it and it was a beautiful property. They wanted to sell it to a few people in the neighborhood that they knew would take care of it. And you know, not let it let it go downhill. So we were one of the selected buyers. So we were able to buy that that third property that way. But as you can see, every property has its own little story. And it's always true. Every yeah. deal, if I went through every deal we've ever done, there's a story behind each and every one of them about how we got it done. But what's most important is that, you know, as you're going through this process, you're gonna have these obstacles. You just have to figure out how you're gonna deal with them and how to get around them. Just know they're gonna be there. And it actually becomes a challenge. It actually becomes fun when people throw things in your way, right? To just see how many things you can throw in my way and I can still figure out how to get around them. It actually becomes fun after a while. Not on the first deal though, the first deal was stressful. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I remember my first deal, it was,
0: little, it was a little duplex, you know, a few minutes from my house because I had to buy something close to my house, right? You know, mm-hmm. that, you know, novice mindset, it's gotta be close because I gotta drive there every day and make sure, you know, the tenants aren't lighting this place on fire or whatnot. And it was a little duplex, two units, a few minutes from my house. And I was stressed and I started the same way. We have a lot in common on our journey. I started with a home equity line of credit as well. Mm. And uh, I think it was a couple hundred thousand to 250,000 is what we started with. And we used that. We didn't have money in the bank and whatnot. So, yeah, I can definitely relate to all that. Amazing. So three properties, you got 500 grand. And again, years and years ago, that was a ton of money, obviously. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and that just kind of kickstarted everything, I, I, I guess from there, and you haven't looked back.
1: <clears throat> that That's exactly right. Yep. Yep. At one point, I did take on a partner who has since uh, uh, he oh, has retired. Close, yeah. so he, oh, there you go. There He's you go. since retired. Uh, so there was a, a I, at one point I brought on a partner. He and I did some deals together. He had a bigger balance sheet than I did, right? Because one of the challenges as you're growing, it's a very capital-intensive business, and you've got to have some net worth and liquidity. So you know, I always tell people when you're trying to figure out how to do these deals, you got to figure out exactly what you need and go find the right partner to to partner with you. So he was super helpful early on to help me grow as fast as I did, and uh, he's he's retired. He's no longer um you know doing anything with us but actually i do still have one deal with them but now you know we've gone out on our own we syndicate our own deals we actually have now um graduated from the syndication world and we now do blind pool funds the, for lots and lots of reasons there it just makes a lot more sense we operate primarily in florida which is a hyper competitive market as you know and you've got to do everything you can in that market to set yourself apart so now we do blind pool funds and uh, we go out raise the money and then go find the deals just makes us a much much stronger buyer, and so you know mm-hmm. it's it's interesting to see the evolution of our firm over time, and uh, you know we'll we'll always be a blind pool fund, uh, a buyer yeah. because it's.
0: Yeah, when you say blindfold fund, that just means you're raising the capital first and then
1: finding the acquisition. That's all. Yeah, so if you compare this to a syndicator, most people are familiar with syndications. So oh. if you're the sponsor, you'll go find the deal. You'll lock it up. You'll put some of your own money in it. And then you're going to work like crazy to try to raise that money within a very short period of time. And if you've done it, you know, that's a super stressful situation. Puts a lot of gray hair on your head because your money's at risk and you've got to raise raise the money in time. So a couple of things happen when you're buying in that environment. First of all, lots of syndicators are standing next to you wanting to buy the same asset you do. The seller knows you haven't raised the money yet. So it's a, it gets harder, right? So you've got to find a reason to have the seller pick me, pick me, right? Usually you pay up for that. Well, flip the model now. It's called a blind pool fund, but it's also just a fund for short. We now go raise the funds. We get the commitments from our partners. And then we then 10, 15, 20 million, whatever it is that's in the fund, we go to the market and say, look, Mr. Broker, Mrs. Broker, Mr. Seller, Mrs. Seller, we're a fund. We've 20 million of commitment. You don't have to worry about us raising the money. It's already done. It's already raised. So that whole equity raise risk is off the table. And so sellers really do appreciate that because they want closing. They want to close. So they they don't want to take that risk that you're not going to be able to raise the money. So we take that off the table. The other thing that we didn't really probably fully appreciate when we first started doing funds was that sellers know that people that do funds are generally more experienced. So they—that means implicitly that you'll be quicker and more efficient with your due diligence. You probably know what you're looking at on day one, so you're not left far less likely to retrade them as you get down the road with that deal. And they know that your—you know—your chances of getting it financed are considerably higher, especially in the market that we're in now, where interest rates are kind of going wacky and you know inflation's there and everything else. Right? We can get deals done that a syndicator might have a lot harder time doing. So. It's those massive buying advantages, and there's also lots of uh, um, benefits for a fund investor to do it as well because they get diversification with inside a fund and all sorts of other benefits, but lots and lots of reasons to do the fund model, and it's why we'll stick with that because it is truly the best way to to, to operate in this business once you get enough experience that you're able to, to do that.
0: Absolutely. Great advice there. Great advice. So you're raising money before the acquisition and correct me if I'm wrong, you're still concentrating on the multifamily buildings or are you kind of in a different space? Like, what are you guys focusing on
1: buying now? Yeah, great question. So we, I believe very strongly in not letting, don't ever let somebody learn on your dime, right? So we do multifamily. It's what we've always done. We're really, really good at it. I have no reason to get out of that lane, right? I already know how to do it. If I'm going to go out and experiment with with development or something like that, I'm going to do that with my own money. I'm not going to do it with somebody else's, right? I just don't think it's fair. So as a company, our business model has generally been the same. We buy uh, BC class assets in good neighborhoods. That's really important. Ones of which we know that it's it's a value-add business model. If we Mm -hmm. can add physical, we, we can make physical improvements, we can make management improvements. And by doing so, we'll be able to increase the cash flow of the property. And hence, then the value, because that you know that value connection to cash flow, uh, we're able to be fairly predictable when uh, when we know how we're going to exit the deal. So that's what we do: value add, good neighborhoods, B C class. We hold usually three to five years, and that's kind of always been the way we've operated. And it is, you know, thus far been able we've been able to generate really really good returns for our investors with that model.
0: Yeah, we do the same thing. Uh in a joint venture partnership structure as opposed Mm -hmm. to the uh, raising the funds, which is something we've actually been uh, working towards. And like you say, you know, once you're starting to build your experience, build your experience and you're ready for that next step of, you know, raising funds and and whatnot, which is around the corner for us, the more of our acquisitions to date, our partnerships have been in the joint venture structure. partnership. but yeah, I definitely, definitely like your model for sure. And and I like the fact, and I can't agree more, we've lost out on buildings that we've tried to buy in partnership with some investors, but like you say, you're coming in and these sellers know you've already, you know, you're a fund, you've raised your money, you have the money, you know, there's no... Uh, There's no
1: gray area there, right? I call it equity raise risk. It's gone. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. you
0: need to deploy that money, obviously, now that you've raised it and these sellers know it and you're coming in in a much better position to get that over, for example, a person like myself, because you already you, you have the money and you could potentially pay a little bit more than me, for example. So uh with your fund that you have in your hand which is very powerful very Mm -hmm. powerful even with negotiations like you said and whatnot so yeah it's definitely it's definitely you know maybe not for beginners obviously but people that have been in the game like yourself for a long time can definitely offer their investors uh an upper advantage
1: yeah And, and and to be clear there's nothing wrong with the syndication model it's just it's just a little harder way to get a deal i mean people grow up in this business first usually doing it with their own money then they go out and start to raise money with it and do it with others there's nothing wrong with that it's just the normal life cycle of an investment firm and uh you know i would encourage people to just you know some people never stop syndicating they never go to the fund model and that's fine too right it, whatever works for them we happen to operate in really competitive markets so I'm trying to stack everything I can in our favor to get these deals without paying up for them because you know you don't always want to be the highest bidder when you're trying to buy, right? The certainty of close is really important for most sellers, right? Most sellers are not trying to eke every last little penny out of that property. They want a, they want a good deal, a deal that they know they can lock in their returns and they know it's going to happen because what happens is if that syndicator falls out of contract, now that property comes back to the market and it's just tainted. It's just the way it is. You, you, the brokers will try to explain away why did it fall out of contract, but it's just, it's viewed differently. Now it's not as competitive for the seller. It hurts the seller. So they right. care a lot about that certainty of close thing. And that's what we really bring to the table.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Um, there's many different methods of investing in real estate, obviously in the market. Uh Obviously, your knowledge is second to none, I think, obviously, with 24 plus years. Um, you mentioned real estate is not a passive activity, investing is. Tell us more about this point in your mindset around that.
1: Yeah, what I find a lot of people, and, and by the way, just to, to be clear, you know, we've been doing this 24, 25 years, but we're learning every day, right? I mean, I don't want anyone less anyone think uh, that's listening to this that, You know, we're beyond learning. I mean, I learn every single day. That's what I love about waking up every day is, you know, what am I going to learn today? So it's really fun to learn. Um, In terms of this uh, passive thing, that concept really starts off when, when, think about when you were ready to get started, right? Everybody says, oh, passively invest in real estate. So they go out and they buy a duplex. Just what you did when you started out. Mm -hmm. Because you think it's a passive investment. It is not a passive investment because what did you do? You drove by that building every day. You had to make sure that everything was going right. You had to make sure the long sees that that's active. That's not passive. Right. And so many people mischaracterize this investment real estate thing as being passive when the only real way to make it a passive investment is if you give your money to someone else like us and you get money back and you have nothing else to do. Right. That's a true passive investment. And a lot of people don't realize when they—they they just don't equate apartment buildings as businesses, right? If I were to say to you, "Hey, do you want to um, do you want to open? Um, I don't know, a restaurant," you would never think of that as passive, right? It's right. a business, just yeah. like an apartment community is. It's a business. But when you think of an apartment building, you could say, hey, "Oh, I would say to you, it's a passive investment, right? The IRS classified as a passive, maybe so on and so forth." It's truly not. What I want people to be prepared for as to really evaluate your life, and I'll talk about why this is so passionate for me. Everybody knows you can make a ton of money in this business, but what most people are trying to figure out right out of the gate is, okay, how does this fit into my life? And that's when this passive active thing really comes into play. You've got to make the decision about how, you know, are you a physician? Are you an attorney? Do you have a great, you know, you were a police officer, right? Right. Right at the very beginning, do you really have the time to be active, to drive that business, to be the one to make sure that everything happens? Or should you start out with a passive investment until maybe you get to the point where your passive income exceeds what you're making in your day job, and now you can kind of make that jump? So I want people, um, it, it's in a book that we give away, we'll talk about that in a minute, but it's it's I try to help people figure that out. Most people, if they truly look at their lives, realize that they should be passively investing in real estate. They should give their money to a, an experienced indicator or a fund manager or something like that. That's where most people end up landing. It's it's just that they don't they don't really think of real estate or apartments as a business, which which it is. Trust me, I'm in it every day. It is a business. There's no question about it. So that's the distinction I like people to make, so that they don't get misled. They kind of it's almost like a bait and switch on them they think it's passive and all of a sudden they get the call on Saturday night that the toilets leaking, and this is happening and, that, and it's not so passive anymore. Um,
0: right, right, right. No, I couldn't agree more. And obviously whether they're giving you their money or partnering with our company and mm-hmm. providing capital for us, you're delivering a hands-free product, right? Yeah. Completely. You're doing nothing other than collecting the paycheck, sort of speak, completely hands free. And um, that's very, very attractive when you're obviously getting started or don't have the time, so busy with a young family, you're busy with your career. Why not give the professionals the money and let them invest that? And you can completely be passive and literally do zero so I I, I can't agree more that model is very attractive obviously people just have to get by the mindset that obviously they got to do their due diligence they got to feel comfortable whether it's your company our company whatever company you know they got to feel comfortable they've they've done their research you know they've seen statistics they've seen your product they've seen your results OK, what, what's more to do other than, you know, real estate is a very, very viable place to put your money long term. You know, I always say this long term, you can't lose if right. you know you're investing in real estate long-term, long term, generational wealth mindset. Is that not right?
1: It, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I don't I don't know that you can use the word guarantee because uh, I always think that's a dangerous world and dangerous word in the investment world. But, but you're right. Uh, time is generally your friend in the real estate world. If even you had a small hiccup um, in pricing, you just got uh, the right nice away. thing about real estate is it's going to still generate cash flow. <laughs> so you're getting paid to wait, which is remarkable, right? When you, for example, our fund, the preferred return is six percent, and you're getting paid to wait. I mean, uh, I don't know too many dividend stocks that are paying six percent. And by the way, you don't have to pay tax on that six percent when you get it because it reduces your capital it's not it's not taxable income to you uh just because you receive that money so there's so many benefits the other thing i share with investors is if you if you vet your sponsors correctly you can find people in our business very easily. i mean we underwrite to a minimum of 15 percent annual returns to our investors well i mean think about that how much more money do you need to make as a passive investor if we can if we can beat 15%, right? There's no guarantees, could be 2%, right? In our yep. world, you don't. we don't get any of the upside bonus until you get your 6%, right? So that's, it's not that the six is guaranteed, but you're getting six first and then we split uh, over and above that. But what's important is if we can find a way to get investors 15, 20, 30% plus annual returns, which we oftentimes do, I mean, that's not a bad passive investment. At least I don't think it is. Absolutely, absolutely. For sure. So the key for them, and we'll talk about this, is vetting the, insp- the sponsors. Uh, and uh, I know you didn't ask me this question, but it is the biggest challenge right now. That people thinking, okay, I want to passively invest. How do I do that? How do I know? Ken, that you're the real deal? That your your track record is what you say it is. And uh, I would I would say I don't have a financial interest in this company, but if you look at Verivest.com, we we paid them a ton of money to go and vet our entire track record think about that for a minute, right? You're not probably going to ask me for all my tax returns and settlement statements and bank statements for all the deals I've done, right? To make sure I didn't lie to you. They did. And they made us, uh, they vetted us, right? So I think this whole vetting process is super critical to the long-term success of this industry, because at some point there'll be some bad actors out there doing things they shouldn't do. But these guys, they vetted everything. They do annual background checks on us to make sure we're. We're doing all the right things and so on and so forth. So I would encourage your investors to take a look at that site. We're on there, probably on there. It's very expensive for us to go through that. Verivest.com, V-E-R-I-V-E-S-T.com, and then slash K-R-I-Dash Partners. That's our page uh, on their site. But the point is, again, I don't have any financial interest in that company. I just think it is such a useful service so that when you're out there trying to figure out where to invest, I mean, somebody that has not been vetted or somebody that has been vetted. Seems like that's a valuable thing. At least I think so. million percent.
0: million percent. Couldn't agree more.
1: All right. Well, one of
0: our last questions as we approach the 30-minute mark here. Ken, you're very successful now, and we say that relative to how the world views success. But do you think, Ken, there's still more to life for you when you picture more to life, question number two, what do you
1: see? Yeah, that's so we do what we do for a lot of reasons. Um, I do what I do, I, I take it back to the story that I told you earlier about wh- how I get into this, right? I really did this because I wanted to be able to put my kids through school without being saddled with tons of student debt. I wanted to be able to create a business and create passive income so that I could spend more time with my family and do the things that I want to do, right? It's all about, it actually all leads to a better quality of life, not just for us and me as the owner of the company, but for our investors as well, because we're, we're, you know, we're we're throwing off 15, 20, 25% plus annual returns. Well, that is helping them to reach the same exact goals that I have. And that is to, to do all the things that I, they want a better quality of life, right? There's, once you're able to replace your active income with passive income it it's a it just happens now the flywheel is moving and it requires really no further input on your part and now you you have that money that's automatic we call it mailbox money right you have that mailbox money that's coming in that replaced your active income and now guess what when your grandkids come or your kids come and they want to you want to go to their football game their basketball game their baseball game their dance uh, recital whatever it is you now can do that, right? Because you don't have to worry about um, having to work full time. So it is all actually about that for, for ourselves and for our employees and for our investors, actually. Awesome. Awesome.
0: Last question. If you could give one parting word of advice to people out there listening to this episode, one, one word of advice or one piece of advice, what would that be?
1: Yeah. So whether uh, specific to real estate, if it's specific to real estate, it would be um, learn as much as you can. And so whether you're going to do what I did and create a company and, and do it in an active way, or whether you're going to passively invest, what I tell people, I, I use, have this saying, I, I don't remember if I stole it from somebody or if I made it up myself, but knowledge builds confidence. And what I've seen over time is the number one thing that stops people from making that next step, from do, from making that investment, from doing whatever it is, it's because they don't fully understand it. They're not confident that they know it and understand it. And so that's why I say my number one piece of advice is dig in, learn as much as you can about whatever it is that's going on, and it will give you the confidence to move forward. That is what's always happened to me you know, everything we do, I dive all the way down into the deepest little detail to fully understand whatever it is that I'm trying to figure out. And then once I understand, I'm always confident in in what we come up with, right? That just mm-hmm. makes sense. So knowledge builds confidence. That is the number one thing I love to see, you know, just constantly learn. Back when I was in school, I didn't appreciate it as much, right? You couldn't wait to get out of school, right? Now that I'm older, boy, I, life is just nothing but ongoing school and I really enjoy it. So that's my advice.
0: Knowledge is power. Couldn't agree more, Ken. Couldn't agree more. And especially in this game, you—you know—it is intimidating. It is stressful that first or second, you know, acquisition. But like you say, if you—if you—if you have the knowledge behind you and you've done as much homework as you can and learned, you know, you, you've put in the time, then you got to take action, right? I mean, you got to—you got to take action. You can sit on the fence forever and just keep reading books and be the right. smartest guy in the room. But if you don't take action, you're not never gonna reap the rewards that real estate investing can obviously produce. So uh, yeah, agreed. awesome advice. Well, listen, Ken, thanks for an awesome episode. Um, how do people get a hold of you? They wanna invest with you and your company. How do they reach you?
1: Sure, so uh, let me go, I, I alluded to this earlier, this book that I wrote, KRIpartners.com slash ebook. It's free. It's, it's an easy download. It's only about 40 pages long. It talks about what I said earlier. Talks it helps you figure out how real estate is going to fit in your life. But then once you conclude, probably like most do, that passive investing is where you need to be, the next challenge you have, and I talked about this before, is vetting your sponsor. The second half of the book is devoted to, I share a lot of inside stuff about how does this business really work? What makes people like me think? Why do we do what we do? Why do some people do what they do? Why... But you know, knowledge builds confidence, right? Mm-hmm. So I want you to understand how the business works, because when you understand how the business works, when you talk to potential sponsors, you'll be able to tell if they're the real deal, if they have the track record, the experience behind them, that you feel confident giving them their money. So it's KRIpartners.com slash ebook. And then I get you in your system. And uh, then, of course, you'll know about all the different opportunities that we have uh, for investing with us. Amazing. Yeah. yeah get a free book out of it and then obviously there get you on go. your mailing
0: list and whatnot and maybe take part in some of the opportunities that your company's bringing forward. So yeah, amazing. Amazing. Well, Ken, it's been a pleasure. Uh, we're just at our 35 minute mark and I try to keep it there for that ride to work or ride home after work or whatnot. So awesome advice, Ken, ton of knowledge. Um, definitely opened up some uh, of the, some ideas, even for myself and whatnot. So I appreciate it. And uh, thanks again.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it.